This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment. But first, some breaking news. A global exclusive about a major government crackdown on vaping in this province. It will be youth-focused, and several ministries are involved. Our Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria with the details. Keith. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. Adrian Dix, the health minister, has been quite vocal about this. He's been basically saying what he's been planning to do for some months now. He says vaping amongst uh, particularly young people, and we're talking young teenagers, increasingly a major health care problem. And tomorrow's uh, rather ambitious plan is to get to, to the bottom in terms of preventing future uh, growth in this uh, dangerously health care field. Um, in terms of what to expect, again, anybody following Dix the last few months won't be surprised what we're going to see tomorrow. First of all, there's going to be restricted acts, new regulations to tighten access to vaping products. Uh, no new laws, but new regulations. They're going to be tough ones, I'm told. Also, new measures that will impact advertising rules and nicotine levels. Dix has been quite vocal about his concerns about nicotine levels in vaping products. Also, as you mentioned off the top, Sophie, very much a youth-focused and also a youth-led education plan. Young people are going to be the face of this plan, not doctors or older people. It's very much aimed at young teenagers. And finally, and this is very unusual, three government ministries are going to be involved here. Health Minister Adrian Dix, Education Minister Rob Fleming, and Finance Minister Carol James will all be at tomorrow's uh, news conference here at the Capitol, which, again, unusual to see three ministers like that all sharing the same stage, which speaks, I think, to just how expansive and broad-based mm -hmm. this plan is going to be. So health and education, uh, you know, would seem to make sense, but what can we read mm -hmm. into the fact that Carol James, the Finance Minister, will be there tomorrow? Yeah, very interesting, very intriguing. I was asking around, couldn't get a straight uh, answer on this. But of course, I have to note, Carol James' ministry is in charge of taxation, and it's also in charge of taxation of such things as tobacco. So is there a tax element tomorrow? I don't know for sure, but James's participation in this certainly raises questions and adds a level of intrigue to it. So tomorrow morning, we're going to be carrying it live, of course, on BC1 starting at 1030. Mm -hmm. All right, looking forward to getting the details. Keith, thank you. Negotiations in the transit strike resumed this morning. Both sides back at the table hoping to find some common ground with transit disruptions lasting well over a week so far. Our Aaron MacArthur is in Surrey where these talks are going on. Aaron, any progress so far tonight? Well, they're still talking, Chris, and that's a, a huge step considering where they were just yesterday. Union President Gavin McGarrickle just came outside and said, we're at the table, we intend to stay here, and if we can't get a deal done today, at least there'll be enough progress has been made that talks will continue into tomorrow. We're getting the same information from Coast Mountain Bus that progress has been made at the negotiating table. Now, because progress has been made doesn't mean any of those transit disruptions that we've all experienced over the last week will stop. Tomorrow, six sea bus sailings will be cancelled. And then, of course, on Friday, if a deal can't get hammered out, then the bus drivers will begin their overtime ban, and that will have significant ridership disruptions attached to that. Uh, John Horgan was asked today about labour disputes in the transit sector. He's confident that a solution can be found.
I appreciate that there are examples uh, of, of disruption or potential disruption, but if you look at the overwhelming uh, labor relations profile that we've seen in the past uh, number of months, we've been seeing successes, and I'm confident that free collective bargaining will prevail. Still, we've got that threat of further job action looming on Friday if they can't come to a deal here, Aaron. And now we're learning the talks involving SkyTrain workers have collapsed with the employer. Yeah, that's the other shoe to drop here. Different unions, different contracts, and that is breaking down as well. The uh, QP7000, which represents 900 SkyTrain workers, left the bargaining table today saying they're at an impasse and they can't possibly get any further at the table today. They're going to take what's on the table from the SkyTrain employer and take that to their membership at meetings Thursday and then Monday and get direction about what to do next. No job action imminent, but certainly heading in that direction. Here's what the union president had to say. Staffing levels have been issues for quite some time and uh, we continue to, to work through it and tell the company that we, we need better staffing levels. Our forced OT language is another issue that has been around for quite some time. The fair wage compensation is always what, what we try and get for our members, yes. Yeah. Our next steps are to talk to our members. We have meetings uh, scheduled for uh, tomorrow, Thursday, and uh, on Monday and we'll get direction from our members then. Now that's just SkyTrain, the Expo Line and the Millennium Line, the Evergreen Line, not the Canada Line nor the West Coast Express uh, talks. The company there willing to go back to the table if the union will come back as well. So a lot going on and, and hopefully a deal can be reached here in the bus dispute, Chris. Could be some big developments by next week in both counts. All right, thanks very much, Aaron MacArthur reporting for us tonight. A sex assault charge against Port Moody Mayor Rob Vagramov has been stayed. The special prosecutor assigned to the case announced today he decided to stay the proceedings after Vagramov successfully completed an alternative measures program. Grace Key has reaction and what the development means for Vagramov's political future. The sexual assault charge for Port Moody Mayor Rob Vagramov has been stayed after he successfully completed an alternative measures program, the details of which are not made public. Vagramov's lawyer was asked if he's apologized to the female complainant. Are you able to say, though, if he's apologized to his accuser? As between the two of them, they've made peace. You can be considered for alternative measures if the charge against you is minor, if it's a first offense. You admit that you're responsible and you apologize for what you did. Measures can include compensation, an apology or community service. Councillor Diana Dilworth calling this a disappointing conclusion. Our community has made it very clear that anything other than a, a complete exoneration of Mr. Vagramov would be detrimental to his tenure as mayor. According to defense, the allegation stemmed from a date that took place back in 2015. Vagramov had denied the accusations. This arose from an event roughly four years ago involving two adults fully clothed in daylight on a third date in circumstances where uh, many people might have thought there was consent, but it said there wasn't. I am absolutely disgusted that you would come back. Since the charges first surfaced in March, there have been some heated city council meetings. The mayor took a voluntary leave of absence, returned briefly to work, and then went back on leave in October after a council vote. Knowing he has admitted to something, he, he hasn't been exonerated, he hasn't been cleared, 
So I would feel much more comfortable if he did step down, but I'm going to listen to what our residents have to say and what they're feeling. Vagramov was not required to be in court. He will be making a statement Thursday morning at Port Moody City Hall. Grace Key, Global News. A guilty verdict today to just one of the charges in a sex assault trial involving a Cloverdale youth pastor and his wife. The charges, and there were several of them, against Samuel and Madeline Emerson stemmed from incidents alleged to have happened between 2013 and 2017. Catherine Urquhart was in court for the decision and has reaction from family and church members. Samuel Emerson and wife Madeline enter Surrey Provincial Court to learn their fate. The former youth pastor at Cloverdale Christian Fellowship Church and his wife accused of 12 charges involving young women from their parish. And I'm a huge fan of knowing that Jesus is faithful. Samuel Emerson was facing five counts of sexual assault, two of touching a young person, and one of sexual interference. His wife accused of two counts of sexual assault, one count of touching a young person, and one count of threatening. In delivering his verdict, Judge Mark Chate noted there were inconsistencies in some of the testimony from the complainants. But he found that one of the complainants was credible, and he found Samuel Emerson guilty on one count of sexual assault. He was found not guilty on seven other charges. His wife found not guilty on all charges against her. I was kind of overwhelmed by it all. You know, I know everybody involved, and, and it's the first time to hear a lot of the circumstances. So it's been a long two and a half years for us, and. Uh, Lots of hurt all the way around. Many members of their church, both past and present, were in court for the verdict. It's very disappointing, yeah. I was part of the church and he married my husband and I and he did our marriage counseling. And Samuel Emerson left court with his wife and will be sentenced at a later date. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Three of four victims involved in a hit and run in Kamloops have now died. The victims have been identified as international students from Thompson Rivers University who were also employees of the Coast Sundance Hotel in Kamloops. The accident happened November 3rd. Their car struck by a pickup that RCMP say failed to stop at a stop sign. The suspect ran away from the scene, but RCMP have since identified the alleged driver. Investigators are still hoping to speak with an unidentified woman who assisted in first, with first aid at the scene. A fatal three-alarm fire in an East Vancouver business was accidental, according to investigators. They say it started in an electrical room. Ted Chernecki has more on what happened and how this tragedy possibly could have been prevented. And a warning, some of the images in this story may be disturbing. The owner of a fruit packaging company was in his office late last night working when a fire started, apparently by accident, in a nearby electrical room. They were faced with zero, zero visibility conditions, uh, extreme heat temperatures, and uh, they found a gentleman, brought him out. Uh, they performed CPR on him. All efforts to resuscitate uh, without uh, any positive results. He probably died of smoke inhalation. Had there been fire sprinklers installed, he might have survived. This building did not have a sprinkler system. It was built in 1991. Sprinkler bylaws came in in 1992. 
The ideal situation in any fire is a smoke detector coupled with a sprinkler system. You might incur a lot of water damage, but you'll live. The most cost-effective protection is a smoke detector. Yet here's a very up-to-date and alarming stat. What we're finding in 62% of the cases, people do not have a working smoke detector, and that's very concerning to us. People don't die because of the burns. They die well before the fire reaches them. Just the, the carbon monoxide, the formaldehyde, the cyanide, all the really poisonous things that uh, overcome you. The flames never did reach last night's victim. This being a small factory, any one of dozens of toxic gases could have stopped his breathing the minute he opened his office door. We may never know. What we do know is that you can now buy inexpensive smoke detectors with internal batteries that last 10 years. Tetranaki Global News. The SPCA needs your help after they received a kitten with a badly injured leg. A warning, the images in this story may be disturbing. Meet Valerio. The SPCA says this little guy loves to cuddle. He's currently receiving treatment for his wound, and the SPCA says he may require an amputation. His medical bills will top nearly $3,000. Valeria will spend at least one month recovering before being adopted out. Pretty cute kitten. A hefty bronze sculpture stolen from outside a gallery on Granville Street has been recovered. Vancouver police say their investigation led them to Gastown and the discovery of the horse sculpture there. They're now in the process of returning it to the Petley Jones Art Gallery. The thief was caught on surveillance cameras dragging the statue out of the gallery entrance, loading it onto a dolly and then pulling it around the corner and through a nearby parking lot. There was that very disturbing fear that it would be destroyed and, and it, it, just that thought alone uh, I think ate away at us for, for a number of days and I was actually planning on, uh, right when I got the phone call, I was planning to continue calling um, all sorts of metal melting places in town. The gallery hasn't yet decided if the $24,000 sculpture will go back in its original spot outside in front of the gallery or if it will find a new place inside. Right now, though, another devastating development for the family of a former RCMP officer who was instrumental in fighting sexual misconduct in the force. Krista Carley was one of the first to speak out about harassment endured by female officers. But her family won't see a cent of the $100 million class action settlement. Kylie Stanton explains why. It says a loving memory, Krista G. Carlay. This is a touchstone for a family still grieving. She was full of life, she was full of love, and she really wanted to help people. Krista Carlay found her calling, serving 19 years with the RCMP. But it was here she also endured years of sexual harassment, assault and bullying from colleagues and superiors, scarring her with crippling post-traumatic stress disorder. In July of 2018, she took her own life. Krista did commit suicide. I don't want to say she died. Now her legacy is hanging in the balance. Carlay was one of the first women to speak out about sexual harassment and assault in the force. But even though she was central in launching court action, her kids won't see a penny of the $100 million class action sexual misconduct settlement. This is a copy of the letter I received. Her family is being told because Carlay took her own life before her request for compensation was processed, her file has been closed. 
It states it defined primary class members as all current and former living regular members, civilian members, and public service employees who worked within the RCMP at any time during the class period. My sister was a patriot. This is just fundamentally unfair. Mikhail Basterash, the Ottawa-based independent assessor who is administering the settlement claims, could not be reached for comment. Carlay's claim for what's known as the Merlot-Davidson settlement was received by the organization in early January 2018, along with 3,100 others, swamping those tasked with reviewing them. Why should lack of capacity and capability and prudent planning on their part translate into a problem for my sister or her estate? The family has appealed to the federal government to make an exception for Carlay's children, who are 19 and 21, citing the failure of the organization to process her claim in a timely manner. But that has since been rejected. They just want someone to step up and do the right thing. She raised the profile of this particular class action suit, encouraging other victims to come forward. You know, it, it just seems just so, so, so sad. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Kamloops digging out from its first major snowfall of the season. The city got anywhere from 2 to 10 centimeters, depending on the elevation. There were lots of call-outs for police and tow trucks for accidents, but thankfully most of them were fender benders. Temperatures are rising, so the snow isn't expected to last long. Well, a North Vancouver man says he's getting the runaround from WestJet over damage to his specialized wheelchair. Mitch Stark uses a stand-up wheelchair worth about $45,000. But it's no longer fully functional after he says he witnessed it being dropped by baggage handlers. Nadia Stewart talked to him about the severe impact it's had on his life. We're missing the caps on the wheels on the back of the chair. Mitch Stark has been trying for the last several months to get his specialized wheelchair repaired. We're totally missing a fender on this right side. It was damaged during three separate flights operated by WestJet between April and August of this year while Stark was moving from Toronto to Vancouver. Stark says while attempting to load his 450-pound wheelchair, baggage handlers dropped it on multiple occasions. He says he watched it all happen from his window seat at the front of the plane. It would literally drop onto the ground, bounce off the ground like a basketball. Uh, and then when they did get it into the aircraft, they would turn the wheelchair on its side because, oh, it doesn't fit in the aircraft. Stark says the damage is extensive. Broken caps and fenders, missing lights, a dysfunctional armrest. The specialized chair, once enabling him to stand upright, has incurred over $9,000 in damages. These are my legs. And I'm like, I'm thinking my mind, like they just dropped my legs. In an email, a WestJet spokesperson apologized for the delay, saying they are working with a third party to fix the damage and hope the repairs are done soon. To my knowledge, it is one of the biggest challenges that persons with disabilities traveling by air face. Air passenger advocate Gabor Lucas says WestJet's responsibility in this case is clear. When the mobility device of a person with disabilities is damaged, the airline has to repair it right away or provide an equivalent substitute immediately at its own expense. doesn't matter how much it may cost. For now, Stark says he will not be flying on WestJet until they can assure him his chair will not be damaged again. Nadia Stork, Global News.
Another case tonight of exploding sunroof glass in a popular vehicle built by Hyundai. It happened again in Ontario as a mother was driving her young daughter. Global's Sean O'Shea reports. My daughter Allie was in the back seat and she had been singing and clapping her hands. Christina Truskoski was driving along a highway near Sudbury Monday when it happened. And it sounded like a gunshot went off above my head. Um, so I ducked as little pieces of glass shattered all over my head. Suddenly, she says, with no other vehicles nearby, the glass sunroof on her 2016 Hyundai Tucson was reduced to fragments blown inside the SUV's cabin. Glass everywhere and uh, a giant hole in my sunroof, like the, the entire thing. Her 14-month-old daughter, Allie, was frightened, but luckily not hurt. Uh, you know, we're, we're really fortunate. The incident mirrors many others Global News has reported on. What sounded like a gunshot, like an explosion. The same thing happened in the last year to Mark Barsoom and others. That's where I heard the loud sound of explosion in my car. Hyundai is facing class action lawsuits around incidents involving the breakage of panoramic glass in vehicles. So far, the courts have not ruled. Hyundai told us in a statement, nothing is more important than the safety of our customers. Adding a recent Transport Canada investigation concluded the majority of cases appear to be the result of impact with airborne projectiles. When Truskoski and her husband went to Hyundai, they say the manufacturer showed little concern. They didn't ask if I was okay, if my little girl was okay. And she says the company wouldn't pay for the repair, which could cost $2,000. There is an issues with these glass and, and, and they're, they're exploding. Another shattered sunroof, another Hyundai customer who's decided on what kind of vehicle they won't buy again. I don't want to ever drive a vehicle again that has a sunroof, that's for sure. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Auto. A frightening close call for children in Oregon when their school bus left the road and crashed into a ditch. Ten students were on board. Thankfully, none was heard. But the 20-year-old driver was arrested for being under the influence. An historic day in Washington, D.C., as the world heard publicly for the first time the Democrats' case for Donald Trump's impeachment and the Republicans' response. Today's House hearings included a new contention that Trump was overheard asking about political investigations that he demanded from Ukraine in exchange for military aid. In a rare and momentous move, the House Intelligence Committee gavels in the first public impeachment hearing against President Trump. Democrats laying out their case that the president abused his power by pressuring Ukraine for his own political gain. The matter is as simple and as terrible as that. While Republicans attack the whole process. What we will witness today is a televised theatrical performance. The first open testimony comes from two career diplomats. William Taylor, the top U.S. envoy in Ukraine, testifying that President Trump froze critical military aid to Ukraine in a bid to force a public announcement of investigations into his rivals, including Joe Biden. To withhold that assistance for no good reason other than help with the political campaign made no sense. It could not be explained. It was crazy. 
Ambassador Taylor adding that a staff member overheard a phone call between President Trump and his ambassador to the European Union. The member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden. Republicans focusing on the timeline, arguing that Ukraine's President Zelensky didn't know military aid was being held up during his July call with President Trump at the heart of the impeachment inquiry. President Zelensky went on to confirm a number of things, that there was no pressure, that there were no conditions, that there were no threats. And hitting the core of their defense of the president, Republicans noting that aid was eventually released. He didn't announce he was going to do an investigation before the aid happened. That is true. But only after Congress began an investigation. Only after the president's lawyers learned of a whistleblower complaint. Both sides aiming to persuade a nationwide audience, while the man at the center of the storm... It's a witch hunt, it's a hoax. ...says he's not even watching. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. A masterwork from a legendary modern artist that's been mostly hidden from view for decades is up for auction. In the early 80s, artist Keith Haring painted this mural on the walls of a former convent and Catholic youth center in New York. Herring, who died in 1990, painted the mural for free when he was already an international star. After the church that housed the mural decided to auction it off, a team of architects spent two years removing it. Its estimated value? As much as $7 million Canadian. Okay, it's far from a done deal, and there's no real confirmation it's actually happening, but that hasn't stopped the Friends reunion rumor mill from kicking into high gear. The Hollywood Reporter says a Friends reunion special is in the works. It would air on Warner Media's HBO Max when it begins streaming in May of next year. The report says it would be an unscripted show with all six major cast members. But the report also says there are still a lot of negotiations ahead with the cast and the creative team. Reunion talk began in earnest last month when Jennifer Aniston posted this reunion photo of the cast on her new Instagram account post that temporarily crashed the app. Vancouver's Japanese community is celebrating a big decision from Ottawa. The Vancouver, Japanese, the Vancouver Japanese Language School and Japanese Hall have been given a National Historic Site designation. The school was founded in 1906 and was one of the first 50 schools in B.C. established before World War II. The Heritage Hall was built in 1928 to accommodate the growing needs of the school. During World War II, though, the building was confiscated, along with other properties owned by Japanese Canadians. The hall was reclaimed in 1953 and has been an anchor in the community ever since. In Health Matters tonight, a look at a different kind of service aimed at reducing the human toll of the opioid crisis. Linda Aylesworth reports on a clinic that gives people on Vancouver's downtown east side a way to deal with chronic pain without reaching for opioids or other painkillers at all. Kim Williams has endured chronic pain for much of her life. I slowly lost my life. I used to rollerblade. I used to be a professional dancer. Everything kept falling of the things that I couldn't do anymore. A degenerative bone disease and fibromyalgia among the many issues she had to cope with. 
problem was she wasn't coping. I would ignore my pain and stay in bed for many, many years. But then she found the Downtown Eastside Pain Service. Operated by Vancouver Coastal Health, it's a pilot project with three clinics in Vancouver's poorest neighbourhood. Let's step a little bit further away from the wall and then we'll see how much of the back we can get touching the wall here. The clinics, which offer their services free of charge, help their clients with psychological and physiological techniques rather than with the use of pharmaceutical painkillers. You can kind of think of this as a medicine cabinet within your brain or within your mind that allows you to control your pain without having to actually ingest the opioids. Many people who become addicted to opioids do so in an attempt to reduce pain they don't know how to relieve otherwise. And one of the challenges we've had, you know, within the context of an overdose crisis, um, is we need to have other choices and other options for people. The importance of having this available to folks in the downtown east side is that they otherwise wouldn't have access to physiotherapy or counseling or myoactivation, these non-pharmacological management strategies. Am I in a lot of pain today? I do have pain. But the difference today is I understand how to cope. I understand I'm not alone. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. How cute is that? This little guy is pretty big online right now. He was found in Missouri out in the cold with another puppy and taken to a rescue center. His obviously special characteristic, a short tail sticking out of his forehead. It's made him a social media star and generated countless adoption offers, but he won't be available until he grows a bit more. His name is Narwhal. How appropriate. Full name, Narwhal the Little Magical Furry Unicorn. Can't believe I said oh that. Oh my goodness! But it's true. It doesn't look like he can wag that one. Though. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Flops around. All right, taking the Java joint to the next level. It's like Willy Wonka and Starbucks had a baby. It's the grand opening of the craziest Starbucks you've ever seen. Coming up right after the forecast. Starbucks with an escalator. Crazy. All right, let's check in with Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. I would love to see more of what we had today, Christy. Wouldn't that be nice? Not necessarily going to be the case, unfortunately. So I hope you enjoyed today. It was great yesterday. Now we're seeing the blue sky. It's going to be great again tomorrow. Here's a look outside, though. Thank you to Jason Cole for that great shot of Vancouver. And the Nechaco River in the north coast from Ann Spears. It was a bit of fog earlier today, but certainly some blue sky in the mix as well. Uh, so while we enjoyed the blue sky, there were parts of the interior that did not. Yes, a lot of valley fog in the interior. Uh, basically, a blanket stayed all day long in through uh, Kelowna. They did manage to warm up to 5 degrees despite that cloud cover, but it was socked in. Here's a look at the satellite image showing that layer all the way through the valleys. You can see down to Merritt and over towards Salmon Arm. Here's how valley cloud uh, is formed, by the way. What we had is warm air move in over the valley, clear skies, light winds. And what happens is the cool air descends into the valley valleys and it creates this inversion and that's how the fog uh, develops because of the moisture down below the cool dense air and it basically just caps it the warm air above just caps it and holds that moisture in there so tough to clear that out it takes a little bit of a uh, push of a new system to clear that out and we will see that late tomorrow so this is tomorrow evening at 7 p.m metro vancouver still dry throughout the day although we'll see more cloud as i mentioned gray day vancouver island will see the rain by the afternoon but metro vancouver 
Vancouver. We'll see it through the evening hours and overnight into Friday. So Friday morning's commute could be a little slow with wind and rain, but tomorrow looks mostly dry. That rainfall not pushing in until around 7 o'clock. So hopefully you can get your soccer games in also. There's your forecast for tomorrow. Mainly rain across the north coast. Down through the south, dry for one more day. You'll see the rainfall tomorrow night and for the south coast, areas through the north, in the afternoon, these areas by the evening we'll see the rain and then we'll see that into our Friday morning as well. Hopefully some breaks of blue sky Friday afternoon and we're back to wet weather over the weekend. One last shot of our day today. Beautiful from Pender Harbor showing the blue sky and the nice cirrus cloud. Thanks to Linda for that. Nice day for sailing, no doubt. Thanks, right. Christy. Thanks, Christy. A new Starbucks has opened in Chicago, but it's like no coffee shop you've ever seen. It's that shoot the beans from floor to floor. The world's largest Starbucks roastery covers five floors, including a rooftop patio. Along with merchandise and pastries, it offers products like whiskey barrel-aged coffee and liquid nitrogen gelato. It also has a full cocktail bar. Why Chicago? Well, it turns out the Windy City was the first city Starbucks expanded to outside of Seattle back in 1987. Pretty fancy. You want to go, don't you? You guys want to go. <laughs> yeah, like in the morning. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a little late in the day right now. No cocktails. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, Squire's here with us. I was just going to say, the best thing about Starbucks is the shortest cup is called tall. <laughs> that, there actually is a short, but it's just, you have to... Oh, I'm not very... I'm not for my Starbucks. <laughs> I just like the part. But the short cup was a tall cup. Don't harsh his flow. <laughs> See, I would be tall. You would be venti. That's you true. Would be venti. Yeah. Yeah. Do, 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 do. All right. Elias Pettersson's birthday yesterday. Oh, yes. He celebrated it with two goals. That's a good way to do He's it. He's 21. He's an old guy now. Huh. Uh, now he can go to Vegas. Um, the when the Canucks go to Vegas, he can now do whatever he wants. No, he can't. After the game. Oh, good point. Uh, because the Canucks were given the day off after beating Nashville 5-3 last night, we still don't know what the issue is really with Brandon Sutter, who left in the first period and didn't return. He himself apparently after the game said, it's minor. It looks like Sutter, who's at the Brandon bottom Sutter of the screen here, hurt himself while skating. At the risk of guessing, without a medical degree, maybe a groin issue. He has had groin injuries before, and of course he has had sports hernia surgery. And because of Sutter and Jay Beagle, who missed last night's game, not being 100%, the Canucks called up Zach McEwen, seen here scoring in the preseason, and Tyler Grayevac, also scoring in the preseason. They'll be available for tomorrow's game against Dallas. Bo Horvat said on this very program that the floodgates were about to open for the Vancouver Canucks. He said it before last night's game with Nashville, and he was right. The floodgates did open. Five goals, as we mentioned. Three of them on the power play. In fact, the Canucks were perfect on the power play. They now have 19 power play goals. And if you look at their percentage overall this season, 25% for the power play. That means their power play is sixth best in the NHL right now. We mentioned Pedersen. The puck was bouncing all over the place last night. The ice was not good. It was like they were playing with a lacrosse ball. But this man has good hand-eye, and he had two goals, as we mentioned. The Canadian Junior Bowl, or the Canadian Bowl, I should say, for junior football, is this Saturday, 1 o'clock, at McLeod Athletic Park in Langley. The Langley Rams are hosting the Saskatoon Hilltops, who have won eight of the last nine Canadian Bowls. In fact, the BC team hasn't won this since 2009 when Vancouver Island won it all. So, the Rams are not only up against a great franchise, they are also up against a great history. 
scrimmage. Langley empties it out. Here's Yansu. Is he going to run for it? He will, and he's going to walk into the end zone for a touchdown. How hungry is this organization for a Canadian championship with the seasons you've put together over the years? Well, it's been, hey, we, it's been 72 years that this team's been around, and we've never won a Canadian championship. So if we are able to pull it off on Saturday and the, and the boys show up ready to rock and roll, it's going to be party time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Winning is always fun, and nobody's done more of it this season in Canadian junior football than the Langley Rams and Saskatoon Hilltops. Langley's a perfect 12-0 entering this weekend's Canadian Bowl championship against the undefeated Hilltops, who are 11-0 themselves. Coach is stressed out about this one. Or are you just always pumped up for the big game. Uh, well, I'm always pumped up, but a little more extra for this game. You know, um, you know, you try and get to sleep, and then all of a sudden you think of something, and then you're tossed and turning, and before you know it, it's four in the morning. So, um, you know, like I said, it's a big game, a lot on the line, and uh, I know our guys, uh, our kids, are really excited about playing in this one. Your Langley Rams. Sleep is tough to come by because for all their success over the years, the Rams haven't been able to get over the championship hump, and more often than not. It's been the Hilltops throwing up the championship speed bump. They beat the Rams in last year's championship final, beat them in 2014, and beat them in 2012, with two of those Canadian Bowl victories coming in Langley. Well, I think the biggest difference this year is our depth. You know, I think uh, like last year when we played the Hilltops, I think we were just happy to be there. We had a couple of superstars who dragged us along the way, where this year it's a total team effort. Pressure, Barry, boom! Without a doubt, this is the deepest Ram squad Langley has fielded. They practically have an all-star at every position. So not only are they hoping third time against the Hilltops is a charm, it's also a case of now or never when it comes to winning it all. Drags a tackler, bust free from it, looking for the end zone, touchdown Langley. Yeah, we have three all-stars on the offensive line, one or two on the defensive line, I think two receivers. Obviously our running back this year broke the uh, all-time record in rushing and touchdowns, and uh, on the defensive secondary, Kyle Clarotts and All-Canadian again, and uh, we're, we're just a deep, complete team, and uh, let's hope we show up on Saturday. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is leaving the LA Galaxy after two glorious years where he scored 52 goals in 53 games, became one of the marquee players in Major League Soccer. He wants to play in Italy next year, or I guess maybe later this year. Uh, Zlatan thanked the fans of LA saying, you wanted Zlatan, I gave you Zlatan, now you can go back to watching baseball. <laughs> okay. Not wrong. Thanks, Claire. We've been reminiscing a lot about late nights, <laughs> this, book, this book has helped too, yeah. but yes, Vancouver After Dark, and you went out for a tour. Went out for a little tour. I mean, we can't talk about every old nightclub that was in Vancouver, so we picked a few. We went with the author, Aaron Chapman, and here we go, Vancouver After Dark. The Love Affair, Richards on Richards, The Cave. Just mentioning the names of old Vancouver nightclubs will send a lot of people back in time, and it's in your memory where most of these clubs now exist. So behind this locked door was? Was the town pump. The town here, here at 66 Water Street, one of the great rock and roll clubs. It was in Vancouver, opened in 1971 and ran up into the late 1990s. Later become Sonar, uh, you know, more of a DJ kind of music place, but this was really one of the great sort of live music rooms of Vancouver. There was a time, especially in the 70s, where live music clubs were all over Vancouver. I was booking downtown, 17 clubs in a downtown area to sneak in a bit over to Broadway and stuff like that. 17 clubs every week. Like Vancouver was always blessed with a great nightclub scene because so many acts would start their tours here before they headed down the coast or went to Vegas. And one thing about the nightclub scene, the epicenter is always in flux. 
For example, at one time, Hornby Street was the place to be. You had the cave over here, you had the body shop down here, there was the living room down in the corner over here, Misty's, 12 Caesars, Annabelle's, all these places that were around this immediate area. And what changed it? Just again, real estate? Real estate, everything that up here now is bank towers. And sort of here. the last survivor of that era is right there. Is High Steakhouse. High Steakhouse. Yeah, High's has been here forever. And, and you know, of course it feels very, from another time, you know, that you could practically, you feel like you should slap on a little bit of brute before you sit down and have your steak. <laughs> Aside from the odd marker, like this one for oil can Harry's on Thurlow, most of Vancouver's nightlife past is buried under new buildings. Okay, so this is a famous spot for old Vancouver nightclubbers. It, it sure is. 1040 Richards. 1036 Richards was actually the address of Richards on Richards. But the building itself was really kind of in the middle of the block, I guess, where we are now. Somebody probably, maybe in the second floor, maybe about 30 feet in, um, their living room is where that stage was, you know, and they probably have no idea, you know, where they're sitting. But not all the old buildings are gone. The greatest survivor of all still exists on Davy. Celebrities, which has been many things over the years. It goes back to 1914. So this is older than the Commodore, which is 1930. Um, this was originally the Leicester Court Ballroom, but later on, a number of different clubs, from the Embassy Ballroom, later on, the Pillar and Post, the Retinal Circus. Um, the Retinal Circus? The Retinal Circus, which is, which is a great hippie place, where the Velvet Underground and the Doors played. Really? Yeah. The Doors played the, in this the door? The Doors played Behind here. these doors, the Doors played. The Doors played, played here, okay. yeah. Still places to see things, there's still shows to go to, that, that somebody who's 22 going out to a place to see, to see a show tonight, are, are gonna, that's their good old days, you know, that yeah, they're experiencing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't even know where to go now. <laughs> We're going to find out on Friday night. Come on, you guys. Let's do it. <laughs> we have our Christmas party on Friday. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all. See you tomorrow.